0: Good morning. Let me try it again. Good morning. morning. Thank you. Just wanted to make sure you're still alive. Uh, Let me first of all say what an honor it is to be here and to speak to you all today. It truly is. Uh, I'm used to speaking in my own church where I can see everybody that I know. I mean, we get visitors obviously, but most of the folks I know well. So as I look out at you guys, Uh, This is like a fresh new crop, which is kind of exciting. Um, As Danuta said, I attended Elam in 1976 on the Ring by Spring plan, and um, it worked really well for me insofar as I was uh, graced with being able to marry the president of Elam's daughter. Uh, We have been married for... Oh, Lord. Um... This isn't being recorded, right? In June, in June of this year, we will have been married 41 years. Um, You should be clapping for her. She's got to deal with me. Um, We have three grown children who are all married, and I have nine amazing grandchildren. Um, Back in 1976, when I arrived here on campus, and I think the only one who was here back in the day is Brother Stacy and Guy Gabriel, I think. These two, I think, were the only two that were here back then. Um, In 1976, I can remember coming to chapel services daily here in this hallowed hall. Has been set aside for the glory of God. And I never would have imagined that I would have the privilege of standing up here and being able to speak to you and be able to do the kinds of things that I have done over all of these years of ministry, which kind of leads me into my message this morning. Um, normally, I would have been speaking to you along the lines of revival because that's really kind of the heart and passion of my heart wherever I go. But as I uh, prepared, I really felt to go in a different direction, and it's going to be a little bit more practical, a little bit more down-to-earth, and I hope that it will be applicable to you. Uh, And so what I want to do is I want to give you my thesis statement. This is a college, right? So I want to give you my thesis statement up front, and my hope is to be able to develop it in such a way that it will actually be helpful to you. So here's my thesis statement. For those of you that take notes, this is my thesis statement. The decisions that we make today largely determine our tomorrows. Let me say it again. The decisions that we make today largely determines our tomorrows. Uh, In other words, our daily moment-by-moment decisions matter. Um, You are, to some extent, a result of the decisions that you have made throughout your lives. You are a conglomeration of a bunch of decisions that you made through each stage of your life that brought you and caused you to end up here at Elam. And I recognize that for some of you sitting here, if you're a little bit quicker, you're going to say, now wait a minute, Pastor Chris, that's not fair. Because some of who I am is a result of other people's decisions. Not things that I did, but things they did to cause me to be who I am. And I would say to you that that's probably true. But I would equally say that your response to their decisions equally helps to determine who you are as a person. So I want to be honest up front that I have not always been a great decision maker. And I suspect that you haven't either. Uh, I I did things at Elam. I was at Elam. Oh... I hope that I'm right in this. I think I was at Elam for about maybe a month before I got campused. Back in the day, we had what were called demerits. I don't, you, do you guys have demerits anymore? No demer. You guys, what is the deal? We had demerits. In other words, if you did something wrong, you got demerits. And I, I forget what it was. I think it was like if you got 25 demerits, which you had to do a lot to get 25. If you got 25 demerits, you got what was called campus, which basically meant you were sent to your room. And I think it was like a month along, I got campused because I was playing basketball down in the gym that used to be there. And I'd never played basketball before. I grew up on a farm, and we played baseball, and we played football. But we didn't play basketball. Only girls played basketball because you had to wear shorts. Guys didn't wear shorts. And so I'm playing basketball, and this guy, by the name of Ken, kept putting his hands on my back. He was guarding me. And I, I would knock his hand off, and he'd put his hand on my back, and I'd knock it off. I'd say, would you cut it out? he put his hand back on my back, and I turned around, and I ducked him. Um, LAUGHTER We're not always good about making decisions, and sometimes sometimes we don't even think of them as decisions at all. We think of them as uh, reactions or responses. We think of them as behaviors and attitudes. But all of those reactions are actually momentary decisions that you make to the environments and the situations in which you find yourself. Those actions matter in your lives. Have you ever made a decision? Have you ever had a reaction that actually affected your life in a significant way? And maybe you would say, yeah, my decision to come to Elam. But have you ever made a decision on a negative front? Have you ever um, been in a relationship and something was going on and you overreacted? You got angry and you lost your temper? And it changed the tenor of that relationship from that point forward. Happens in Marriage happens in friendships, it happens in the workplace. Those kinds of decisions ultimately matter. Or maybe you're the kind of person who you allowed your romantic feelings for that friend to go a little bit farther than it should have at that stage in your relationship, and it affects you even to this day. Uh, If there's one question that I think most pastors are asked more than almost any other question. If I could pick one question that I have been asked over 40 years of pastoring. I've actually been in my church for 30 years, but I was pastoring before the church I'm in. So for over 40 years of ministry, probably the one question that I have been asked more than any other has to do with, what is the will of God for my life? And that's really what I want to talk to you about. And it's appropriate that you consider what is the will of God for your life. Because Jesus said, my meat and my drink is to do the will of my Father in heaven. He said, I delight to do thy will, O God. And what I want to do today is I want to answer a big question, which is this. When it comes to the will of God for your life, what does God really care about? That's what I want us to talk about today. And it concerns me that when I talk to people about the will of God for their lives, most often they talk to me about things like vocation and location. For example, they say, "Um, what should I do that has to do with your vocation? And where should I do it that has to do with your location? Should I do it in Avon or should I do it in Africa? Should I do it in Rochester or Russia? Should I be a plumber, or should I be a preacher? Should I be a missionary, or should I be a mom? We ask those kinds of questions about the will of God, and I have no doubt that God is concerned about what you do and where you do it. I believe he has a job and a place for all of you, but I want to suggest to you that for me personally, and I have talked to a whole lot of people over all these years, most of us feel like we've stumbled into the will of God for our lives. I can still remember the first time I went to pastor, and I was pastoring in a little area called Sterling, New York. I don't imagine most of you even know where that is. It's over near Oswego. And I was asked to pastor that church, and I'm thinking, you guys have made a horrid mistake. I'm not a pastor. I'm a plumber. I was Elam's plumber at the time. And I thought, thank you, Mr. Kesper. Good to see you again. I thought... I can't pastor. Well, here I am 40 years later, and I'm getting ready to retire soon. And I'm thinking, maybe I should have pastored. Maybe that is what God wanted me to do. I hear students at Elam, even students in my own church, say things like, I spent the week of prayer praying about what was God's will for me. Or, I went to my senior prophecy hoping that the prophecy would tell me God's will for my life. Almost as if you're hoping to trip over it. And I think some people are afraid they're going to miss the will of God, whereas other people are afraid the will of God is actually going to find them. They've prayed things like, um, well, I mean, come on, admit it. What one of you haven't been like me in that room right over there, praying and saying, God, I will do anything, but don't make me go to Africa? So we're kind of afraid that the will of God will actually find us out. And I want to suggest to you that God is more concerned that you actually fulfill his will than you are, and he's well able to make sure that you accomplish it. Uh, my father-in-law was a past president of the England Bible Institute, and he tells the story about being at a church once where the speaker, who was a, a traveling minister, stood up in front of people and said, I will tell you definitively the will of God for your life, and it will only cost you $100 per person. And my father-in-law told this story and said, that night, that minister walked away with $1,200 in his pocket. And that was a small church. Now, I want to suggest to you that I can tell you the will of God for your life today, and it won't cost you $100. It'll cost you way more than that. Not payable to me, but it will cost you your life. It'll cost you everything that you have. Now, my premise for this message is simply this. When it comes to the will of God, we tend to ask the wrong questions. We ask what and where and maybe even when. But here's my point number one. If you're taking notes, this is point number one. I only have two points for you today, by the way. Normally, uh, uh, Jonathan will tell you, if you're in my church, I have three to four points, and every one of my points have subpoints. points uh, I like points, I like to think of things logically, systematically, but today I decided to give you just two points. Point number one is this, God cares more about who than do. God cares far more about who you are than what you do. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Because most of our lives, even here at Elam, we're more concerned with our image than we are with who we really are. We're more considered, concerned with what we look like, what people think about us, than we really are about who we are on the inside. First Thessalonians 4.13 says this, For this is the will of God. That's pretty definitive, isn't it? This is the will of God, even your sanctification. So God's will for your life, and I'm telling you point blank, this is God's will for your life. It is that you be sanctified. You be set aside for his purpose. God's will is that you walk with him day by day until you become more and more like Jesus. Um. One of the things that Danuta mentioned is that I spent a lot of time in the gym, and I did. And back in the day, by the way, you guys might not realize this, but Brother Stacy had a killer free throw shot. He was on my team, and we would just tell him, we don't care what else you do, just run to the free throw line, and we'll get you the ball there, and you shoot it. I mean, he was just, like, amazing that way. But while I was on the court, uh, I I was uh, an angry person. I played to win. I was competitive. And that kind of thing was inside of me. And one of the themes that we had for our class at Elam was formed for service. Formed for service. Taken a God a lot of years to work on some of that stuff in me, and he still is. But it started with being willing to admit, God, you care more about what's going on inside of me than how I look to people or what I'm doing, whether it be plumbing or pastoring. It really doesn't matter. I tell people all the time, I pastor because I believe that's what God called me to. I believe that is the will of God for my life. But that's not who I am. Who I am is God's. I am his child, his son. Paul says in Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what our life is about. God chose you to be more like his son, to be more and more like Jesus. While we're agonizing over what we should do and where we should do it, God cares more about who we are on the inside. God's will for you is that you allow the Holy Spirit to be so resident in you that you be transformed more and more into the image of his son. So I want to suggest to you, some of you maybe are even seniors here today. In fact, how many of you are in your final year here at Yale, senior year? And I know now that there are uh, bachelors of science degrees, I guess, that can be handed out. Uh, You could actually go another year. We only had three years back in our day. It took me six years to get through three years, but we can do it. Uh, I was a little bit slow. But I want to say to you guys, regardless of what you do, the truth is God cares far more about who you are inside. Are you living your life for Jesus, or are you living your life for you? Um, the Greek word that is used for sanctification is the Greek word hagiosmos, and it means to be set apart, to be different. I'm not suggesting that you dress differently or you act differently than the world, because the world's not our standard. I'm suggesting that you look like Jesus. You become more and more like Jesus, so that when people see you, they see something of God in you. The scripture says of the early disciples that when they were brought before the religious leaders, they took note that they had been with Jesus. And my question to you today is, would people take note that you've been spending time with Jesus by who you've become as a person? Jesus cares about our character far more than our career. Uh, Jesus cares about who you are in the core of your being more than what you're doing in life. The question that people ask is this, what does God want me to do? And I would suggest that instead you ask the question, who does God want me to become? Because it is a process. I've been at this a long time, a long time, such that uh, I'm, honestly, I'm getting ready to retire in another year. But I have to tell you, God is still at work in my life. He still confronts things. He still challenges things. He still expects me to grow in him, and I hope that that happens until the day I die. I don't want to stay the same. I want to change and become more like Jesus, who comes before do. Now, let me ask you a question, and I hope you'll be kind, uh, because otherwise I could go home with a hurt feeling. Um, how many of you would say, theologically, theologically, it is God's will for me to stand and to give you this message today? How many of you would say that? Would you say that? Okay. I want to suggest to you that that's probably true, but that's secondary. That is secondary to to the larger will that God has for my life. God's larger will is that I become more like him and that I be honest in how I actually handle things in front of you today. Uh, I've stood up in front of preachers over the years, a lot of preachers over the years, and they tell some great stories. And when they're done, I think to myself, I wonder if that story is even true, or did you just make up a story because it sounded good for your message? I say to people all the time, I'm going to be ending as a pastor here in another year. That doesn't change who I am inside and what I want to do with my life. I want to live my life living, breathing until the day I die for Jesus. And I hope that's your cry as well. The second point I have for you very simply today is God's will is more about why than what. God cares about your motives. Scripture says it this way in Proverbs sixteen two: People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Motives matter. There's an old truism that says this. There are two reasons why everyone does something. There's the reason we tell everybody, and then there's the real reason. What's the reason you do what you do? Um, I have nine grandchildren that I love dearly. Uh, They're amazing. They're beautiful. They're cute. They're smart. Um, If I had known that grandchildren were so good, I would have had grandchildren before I had my kids. I mean... (laughs) these grandchildren are amazing and if you've ever met them you know it's true but my grandchildren come to visit me uh during COVID it's been a little bit more challenging but prior to COVID they would come to visit me regularly and one of the first things that they're looking for is my stash of jelly beans I like jelly beans it's one of my weaknesses but um My grandkids have been told by their parents, you need to care more about Grandpa than about his jelly beans. So they come to the house, and they sit on my lap, and the first thing they ask, even though they're not supposed to, first thing they say is, Grandpa, can we have some jelly beans? And I'll say, well, I'll have to think about it. And then it begins. They'll put their arm around my neck, especially Tessa. She's amazing. She's good at this. She puts her arm around my neck and says, oh, Grandpa, I love you so much. (laughs) Grandpa, you are so handsome. Grandpa, have I told you lately that you look so good losing all that weight? You are so thin. You're like an athlete. Even though you're getting a little bit older, you are so athletic. She'll say, Grandpa, this is just between us. I have two grandpas. I have Grandpa Shaw and I have Grandpa Lanaville, but can I tell you a secret? You're my favorite grandpa. (laughs) Now, maybe it's just me. My suspicion is Tessa might have a slight issue of mixed motives. What do you think? (laughs) Well, I still want to suggest to you that God cares more about our why than what He cares about our motives and why we do things. Um, and I'm, I'm submitting this especially to the leadership of Elam because they can correct me when I'm all done and I leave. They can correct this, But I have kids ask me, college-age kids. I call them kids. I'm sorry I shouldn't do that. I have young adults uh, ask me questions like, do you think I should date this person or not? Having been around for a long time, I want to say to you, I don't know and I don't care. Do what you want. Do what's in your heart. But I do say this if it's to date, date with integrity. The word integrity actually comes from a Latin word that has the idea of an integer, which is a whole number. Do it with wholeness. And I would suggest to you that if you're going to date, if you choose to date, date wholeheartedly before the Lord. Before the Lord. And if you're not going to date, if you're going to be single, you're going to say this is a stage of singleness in my life. Then do that wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Um, Psalm one thirty nine. The message, the passage, the passion translation puts it this way: God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. If I take time to be honest, i got to tell you, sometimes when I allow my own mind and heart to search within me, I am horrified by how self-centered I can be. I avoid things because I'm lazy. I know, for example, that my wife, who has just had surgery and she's not supposed to be doing anything right now, uh, I know that she likes uh, this, um, what's it called? Help me. A humidifier on in our bedroom. She likes a humidifier because the air gets dry, especially in the wintertime. She wants the humidifier, but it has to be filled. You have to put water in it for it to work. And I know it has to be filled every single day. And I lay in bed at night pretending that I've completely forgotten about it. Just because once I'm in bed, I don't want to have to get up again. And then I see her get up out of bed herself and go over and start to pick up. the And I'll jump. Oh, no, no, I'll get it. I just forgot. Well, I forgot for a second until I got in bed. And then I... How many of my motives are more me-centered than they are Jesus-centered? You're saying it today. Jesus, be first. Be the center. How much of what's going on inside of me is more about me than even about others. I'm not looking to serve them. Uh, One of the first messages I can ever hear spoken here at campus was about the call to servanthood. I don't hear a whole lot about that anymore. But the truth is, every one of us is called to lay our lives down. Jesus said, I give you this example. What are your motives for what you do? It's who before do, and why before what? So when you post on Facebook, why are you making that post? Are you making the post because you want to say something or demonstrate something that would encourage people in Christ? Or do you want people to look at it and say, man, isn't she looking good today? That hairdo is just, wow, that's amazing. Why do you post what you post? Is it because you really want to encourage somebody or because you want to show them you are really insightful? What is it that drives you? Paul says in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, that seems pretty encompassing, doesn't it? Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord. Doesn't matter whether it's cleaning the dorm bathrooms or leading a class doesn't matter whether it's leading worship or maybe being stuck up in the sound room where you know that as soon as something doesn't go right, everybody turns and stares at you because that's going to help fix it, of course. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Are you doing it as unto the Lord? You might say, I'm just a stay-at-home mom and I'm stuck with doing laundry and cleaning babies. Well, I want to suggest to you, then do it heartily as unto the Lord. Make that the cleanest laundry that's ever been laundered and the cleanest baby buck cracks that have ever been cleaned. <laughs> do it as unto the Lord. You say, I, I'm just a student. I'm just a first-year student. I, I don't know much. Well, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Give yourself unto it. You say, well, I'm hoping that one day I might be a missionary overseas. Well, are you being a missionary where you're at right now? One of the responsibilities that I have with the Elam Fellowship is missions. And, uh, you know, I try to travel around the world as much as I can, visit our missionaries, encourage them, things like that. But I hear even people sometimes in my own church say things like, I I really feel called to children's ministry, and I feel like maybe I should go and be with Matt and Stephanie and do children's ministry in 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 Corolla in China. And and I want to do that. And my question to them is, are you doing children's ministry here? Because if you're not, why should we give you money to go there and do it? Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. When you serve Jesus here, it helps you to get to the right there, whenever that is. Who before do, and why before what. When we get that right, God, who cares more about you doing his will than you even do, will make sure that you get there. And maybe you have a dream. Uh, I, I had a dream when I was at Elam. My dream was actually to be a teacher at Elam. That's what I wanted. I didn't want to be a pastor because I saw, number one, what they did to my pastor, and I didn't want to be a pastor. And then, number two, I thought, well, pastoring is kind of like you're stuck with people all the time. I could be a teacher, teach in the class, and then go back home and avoid people. <laughs> because, honestly, people scared me. I didn't deal well with people. And so my dream was to be a teacher. Well, that never came. And God, in his wisdom, instead said, I want you to pastor. And I want you to be stuck with people so that they can rub up against you and you can rub up against them. And together, you will change. Maybe you have a dream, a vision. Start now. Doing that which God calls you to right now. And do it heartily as unto him. Uh, Most of you probably don't remember Carlton Spencer. But one of my fondest memories of Brother Carleton, and you'll, you'll remember it, Brother Stacy, is we used to line up in that hallway by uh, in the main building. We called it. You guys call it Spencer Hall. Spencer Hall. No. Um, we used to line up to go to lunch, and we had so many students at the time that you actually were eating in three shifts. And so we would line up in the hall and wait to go get our lunch. And Brother. Spencer's office was right there and he had a door that would open into the hallway and he would come out into the hallway and he would walk up and down talking to the students and he would bend down I mean this is not a young guy now he was probably the age I am now but he would bend down and tie people's shoes he would take their tray and go get their food and help them sit down so I can remember being in services where after everybody left brother Spencer was here still straightening up uh, I had a friend of mine who told a story once of Brother Spencer being invited to a large gathering of evangelical ministers from around the world who gathered in California, I believe it was. And at this meeting, there were like major name brand people, like, you know, at the time, like Robert Schuller. I mean, just big people, Jack Hayford, all these guys. And they were standing around a table at a break, and the food was actually running a little bit sparse. And there's Brother Spencer, you'd have to know Brother Spencer, though, He he wore just Regular pants, black pants, but regular pants, white shirt, maybe a tie, and he had on suspenders. And the guy who was standing there, who I think was like a bishop in the Catholic Church or something like that, was standing there next to him, looks at him and says, we're running out of food, would you please go get some food out of the kitchen? And Brother Spencer says, okay. And again, he's a guest just as much as this guy, but he picks up the tray, goes out to the kitchen, and Jack Caford turns to the guy and says, do you know who you just ordered around? But for Brother Spencer, it didn't matter. He had lived his life as a servant all of his life. Who before do and why before what? If you become the right who, I promise you, God will help you do the right thing in his time. If you concern yourself more with the right why, God will lead you to the right what and the right where. I promise you. Would you stand with me? I just realized there's a clock up in that upper left-hand corner. That's way too small for old guys. Right now, uh, I'd like you just to close your eyes for just a second, if you would. I know lunch is coming, and you guys want to get to lunch, and I don't blame you a bit. But I want you just to bow your heads for just a second and just say, God, where is my heart in all of this? Have I been more concerned with image than being real? Because the truth is, I've lived long enough to know that every single person in this room is broken. Way worse than Humpty Dumpty. We're broken in the deepest places of our heart. And we come to Jesus, and he begins to mold us, heal us. Too often, we fall back into the trap of being more concerned with what people think about us. Looking a certain way. Doing certain things that we think are higher and better and make us look better. But ask yourself, where are you at in the core of your being? Is Jesus really the center? And can you commit today to say, okay, I'm not going to concern myself so much with the what or the where or even the when? God will take care of that. I'm just going to serve Him fully. right where I am right now. Whatever that might be, if it's serving up at the cafeteria, I'm going to do that gratefully, gladly, cheerfully as unto the Lord. Who before do, why before what? Father, in Jesus' name, I know this has been an extremely simple message, but it's what I felt like you wanted me to share today. And I ask God that you would work in our hearts, even as you have worked in my heart, to be less concerned with um, appearances and far more concerned with the real depths of our hearts. And God, it's not even that we want to search our own heart, because the truth is, John tells us, sometimes our own heart can deceive us. But we're saying, Holy Spirit, you search us. You know what's inside of us. You know what it means for us to become more and more like our Savior. Help us to do that today, Father. And in the small things or in the big things, Lord, let us do it all as unto you. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a great lunch. It was great to be with you today.